In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books, the podcast with one unique theme, four handpicked book recommendations, and two broads. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. Bonus. In our regular episodes on Wednesdays, we tell you about our favorite books based on different weekly themes. In every episode, you get one clear idea, though. Books are the best. (laughs) I like how you really clearly put those periods in that sentence. Books are the The best. best. The freaking best. So we had a thought. Those authors that write the books that we love, they probably feel like books are the best too. So we figured that we should ask them about it. And that's what this bonus series is all about. Today on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got Matthew Kaye. He is a writer of short stories, poetry, children's books, basically everything. I think he does everything. He does. It's really infuriating. He's also hilarious, which you know we love. We had an incredible conversation about stand-up comedy, garage sales, and why poetry should be fun to read. I mean, those three topics, I don't know why you wouldn't be interested after hearing those three. Yes. Exactly. He's just a fantastic human being. I got to meet him in person a while back through one of our friends, the author Callie Vinbali, who Matthew says some very nice things about. Um, We're linking to her, too, so you can understand our love. Get ready to find your favorite new writer and human and see all of his recommendations in the show notes. And now, here's our interview with Matthew Kaye. Hi, Matthew. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, oh my gosh, exciting. yeah. Um, we were just talking. You're our first man. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said it's so creepy, but it's I know. You might want to Well, I've been listening, and I thought maybe due to the title... 
that maybe, you know, obviously I said, well, they haven't had a man from what I've heard, right? Yeah, so right. I said, maybe, you know, I'll just continue to be a fan. That's fine. But <laughs> you know, that's what's the worst that could happen? You know, we, have, we have strict uh, qualification criteria for okay. men and you passed them all. So yeah. Oh, good. Good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I met Amy at a bookstore long ago. And I remember it well. It was, yeah, it was, was that uh, Beaverdale Books or? Yes. That's right. You and Callie. That's right. We love Callie so much. Yes. Callie's the best. I'm yes. excited about her book coming out soon. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We've been trying to think about how we want to bring her into Yeah, too, incorporate that in. Without being, you know, losing our integrity fully. <laughs> just just <laughs> fanning out. Yeah, we're really good friends. You need to buy this book. That's it. You can't That's true. Show yeah, yeah. It is sad that when you're friends with someone, somehow the uh, praise doesn't seem as valid, right? Yeah. 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 I don't know how to st- like kind of sidestep that, but it's it's something I've noticed too. I'll read a friend's book and then you promote it and then people are like, oh, that person's just being kind. I'm a friend of his or whatever. And it's like, no, yeah. I don't know. If I hated you, I would do the same thing. Like I don't know <laughs> Margaret Atwood or anything, but I, I feel like it's the same quality of book, you know? <laughs> like I don't know how to do that. Isn't that imposter yeah. syndrome when you don't believe the praise that other people give you? Maybe so. Well, and writers in general are fragile. Yeah, yeah that's true. That is very mm-hmm. true. Well, we will not be too harsh, hopefully. <laughs> Your fragility. Yeah, no. no. Uh-uh. Um, okay, so, you know, since you've been listening and you're a fan. Which yes. Probably, yeah. Um, you, you probably noticed that when we talk to authors, we have some questions about books and we have some questions about, you know, what you're reading now and some of your current obsessions. So what do you think? Do you have a favorite book that you particularly remember as a kid or as a teen? Mm, great question. Um, yeah, I have. A, definitely there are books that if I hadn't read, I wouldn't be writing, right? So there's there's the ones that kind of made you think I could do this. And um, for me, it was Gary Paulson. He's like, a, I guess, a YA author, mostly geared towards young men. Stories yeah. of adventure. There's Hatchet. the very famous Hatchet. There it is. Yeah. Yes. Hatchet yes. and I think Hay Meadow were probably the first two books that I read in an entire sitting as a boy. And I didn't like to read very much. And I just remember yeah. like t- time went really fast. It didn't feel like work. And I said, man, then when I got older, I said, how does someone write in a way that just pushes a story along without feeling like I'm reading? That was a very important thing for me to to unpack because I don't know if it was that I had trouble reading. I don't know if it was an attention span thing. But whenever I seemed to go to school, it, it came back that daunting, oh, here's Ivanhoe. Go read 60 pages tonight for homework. And I was like, I, I just won't do this. Like, we'll see what happens tomorrow on the quiz, but I'm not, I'm not going to do it. So, you know, I, I from like a sentence level, I think that really started it in terms of, you know, um, I think writers get sometimes kind of caught up in blowing people away with flash. And if you have a really good story, sometimes you just need to let the story do the work, uh, put forth the good amount of details that kind of make the setting seem alive, um, but not so much that you're bogging down the reader with useless information. So that was something I thought about very much going forward. And then just, you know, I've been teaching a short story class here in LA in recent weeks. So I've been doing lots of um, kind of going through my bookshelf and trying to find the best short stories that it's such a gigantic medium in terms of style, right? Like it's almost, it's very hard to teach this five week class I'm doing because of that. And you have, you know, I love teaching Lydia Davis 
and um, Alice Munro, just because the styles are so different and then more traditional short fiction like uh, Chekhov or Richard Bausch or uh, Grace Paley, you know, Naguib Mafoots, I think that's how you pronounce the name. So those are the other, some of these authors, I just see them in print and then I go to say the name on a podcast and I'm like, oh God. <laughs> Welcome yeah, so. to every week. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm just going to ruin my whole life right now. But here yeah, we go. Yeah. Pretty much. I love I, your book and I can't say your name. There yes. You go. That happens all the time. <laughs> or you mispronounce someone's name for years and then someone else says it at a dinner table and you're like, oh, really? Oh, That's yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Is that how you, I think it was Neil, Neil Gaiman, Gaiman, oh, what's his yeah. name? Yeah. Uh-huh. I was mispronouncing that for like 15 years. Uh-huh. And someone I went to like a, a eat a burrito with for lunch the other day, and they said it, and I said, "Is that how you pronounce his name?" They're like, "Yeah, I have his master class." Whatever. I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm so glad that they just live on the shelf, and I don't have to do this." That's terrific. I'm, I'm sure people do the same with my name, so I, I feel like you know whatever, and I don't take what's it personally. The, what's the worst you've heard your name mangled? You oh well, I did a radio show a few years ago. That's probably my all-time favorite. So my name is pronounced Matthew, like the you know the apostle, and then um, <laughs> and then Kaye, like Yippie Kaye. So I was in a studio for a radio show, and the the host was very kind, and he went over the the name a few times, and he said, "How do you pronounce it?" And I said, oh, "Okay, so it's Matthew, and then Kaye, like Yippie Kaye." And he said it a few times; it was perfect. And then the show started 10 minutes later, and he says, I'm here with Marcus Caller. What? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't know that I was on. So I was like, oh, he's taking a phone call. So I just was sitting three feet from him, like staring at the ground. And then he's like, Marcus, would you like to tell us about your new book? And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, he's doing like another person, like someone's calling in with another book oh named Marcus. Gosh. So I didn't answer for like, I don't know, 55 seconds. And it really was weird. And then he was like, tries like waving at me. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so for the whole show, then I was Marcus. Oh, and he's oh. like, Marcus, how'd you get into poetry? It was really funny. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think he had, yeah, just a moment. <laughs> you know, I don't know if he looked at the wrong notes. It was, <laughs> we've all done it. But it was funny, and I didn't want to correct him. Like on the air, I was like, "Well, it's fine, whatever, you know, we'll figure it out." But I like that he doubled down. Like no part where you weren't responding. Did he think, "Oh wait, I might have the name wrong"? Oh yeah, and I totally was not responding. I was like, "Okay, I'm going to be really good." You know, I'm not used to doing a ton of radio, and so I'm not going to jump down someone who's named Marcus. Like just let this Marcus person speak. I'll wait till they call on me. So I was very impressed with my, you know, I was trying to be on my best behavior, which made it even worse. Yeah, I blame him. I don't know. That was he had a full fifty-five seconds yeah, to. Hear yeah, it. he did. He did, hey, and he went over it like hey. eight sec, eight times. I was like, wow, he knows it really well. And I could maybe give him the last name, but to get the first name yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's really what did it. If he had said Matthew Caller, I would have been totally on board because I've had right. that one most of my life. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's not even an R. No. Well, you know, French is really weird. We just it's like decorative letters. <laughs> decorative letters they're just oh you know what a p would look good here let's put one in yeah yeah (laughs) perfect they're ornamental yeah well another thing that we've covered on the podcast a couple times is classics that we struggled with that Mm. maybe you know had an effect on our early reading life yeah we kind of wish they would have put something else in. yes yes (laughs) 
I feel like you have an answer. Yeah. I do yeah. have an answer. Yeah. I have many. Yeah, I okay. think in general, especially yeah. with poetry, uh, you know, my most recent book is poetry. So I do like kind of look at people, wh- whenever I speak, they just say, oh, I, I hate poetry. That's a very common first mm-hmm. reaction. And what I find more than anything else is that they have read a ton of high school poetry. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, but it might not be the easiest way to introduce the subject. I feel Mm -hmm. like we kind of used, you know, sonnets and things like that and Tennyson. And these are great tools for teaching maybe at like an MFA level. But sometimes I think you need to garner someone's interest first. And so I think that applies to everything, right? Fiction, memoir, and um, all the things that you read in high school. So I remember like Dickens was really tough for me. You know, Tale of Two Cities was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, I know I'm... And then there's also this societal pressure that you have to love it. So you feel very yes. much like you can't speak on it, right? It's like a big <laughs> movie, like a Tarantino uh-huh. film or whatever. Like you just watch it and then you're like, oh, if I didn't love it, I can't say it. Like I got to take that to the grave, you know, right, that yeah. maybe yeah. I don't love Pulp Fiction as much as everybody else or whatever it is. <laughs> you know? Sounds like a very specific... Yeah, that was very specific. <laughs> Well, that That's happened to me on this. Well, this last movie that everyone was like going nuts. I, I wa- did you watch that last yes. film? Yes. Yes. Okay. Like oh, good. Just, yeah. Yes. And me I, neither. You said that, and I still watched it, and yes. I ended at the same place too. Okay. Oh, all right. So we're like the only yeah. three, and we should get in like the witness protection program or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I was watching it, and I went with a group of women, and uh, that last scene where someone's like bashing the person's head into a phone for 30 minutes and everyone in the theater was laughing and I was just like is anyone else seeing someone just slam a woman's head into a phone for an hour and a half but anyhow so those are those moments where I felt like very much like Dickens uh, for me was I've appreciated him so much more now as an adult but um, it was tough you know getting through those books I remember Ivanhoe was very tough for me and I remember really wanting to love Jack London as a boy because it was kind of the similar oh. themes explored as Gary Paulson. Yeah, but he sure. also was just bogged me down with a lot of things, you know, then how to make a, uh, to build a fire. Right. That's a, a very famous short story that I love now. But as a teenager that had to read it on like a Wednesday evening after soccer practice, <laughs> I was like, seriously, is this guy just alone with a dog for 20 pages? You know, <laughs> that kind of yeah. thing. But then as a writer later, you, you get an appreciation for him breaking so many rules and saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, all the things they tell writers not to do to have your character be alone for too long, to have internal monologue, to have heavy description. He does all of them and pulls it off. So it's kind of, it's fun because I think that was probably a big part of his process was, oh, I kind of want to try something new and, and try to do things that, you know, maybe teachers or yeah. the establishment won't let you do. So. But you're Show that stuff to young kids, uh, young boys, yeah. who are reading it Wednesday night after soccer practice. Yes, it's such a disservice. Yeah, then, like you know, we grow up thinking this is what it is to be literature. This dry and it's hard and it's mm-hmm. yeah. No one, no wonder so many people are put off by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true, and I think you know, I try to when I'm teaching younger people, I try to always find things that are kind of current. Yeah. Um, there was an essay I taught recently. Um, by an author named Lindsay Hall, and she wrote an essay regarding um, like Instagram stalking and kind of, and and it was really cool. It's like kind of her developing feelings for someone um, based on like, I think an initial 
impression and then following this person on Instagram. It was, it was felt very current and relevant and soulful and honest, you know, all those things. And it's also humorous. So when I read that for like a young essay class, you know, and everyone's like into it and can relate and has a lot of things they can share, it at least allows you to gather and garner people's interests enough to then maybe try to tackle a bigger, you know, like a, an old classic or something. Like kind of, it's almost like that Hollywood thing, like one for you, one for me kind of thing a little bit, mm-hmm. where it's like if you really are hell-bent on teaching Ivanhoe, like maybe you got to like get them to really buy in and then teach it in a different way. I wouldn't even teach Ivanhoe. Yeah, I would probably no, just say like, no. hey, we're moving on, you know. <laughs> but- <laughs> Bad instinct. If you have the instinct yes. to teach Ivanhoe, I think you need a couple days yeah. off. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I don't see them teaching it any longer. Yeah. No, no. Every time you say it, I get an icky reaction. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I love kind of teaching contemporary. I think Jenny Slate has a book out right now. Um, yes. What is it? Like Little Weird little, Things or Little Weirdos? Yeah, little Weirds. Little, yeah, little, little Weirds. weirds. That's, I yeah. love that. It's such a beautiful looking book. It's such a beautiful book. Yes. You know, so I taught that in a class recently. And you just get people interested in writing. And I think the biggest thing for me is if they come away saying like, oh, I didn't know you could write like that. I didn't know that was a form of writing because I felt that way when I was 15 and I finally read Bukowski. You know, I grew up down the street from him practically here in San Pedro. I used to see him as a little boy. Um, Yeah, he lived about three blocks from my grandfather and we would walk right by his house and my grandfather would say, oh, a famous writer lives there. And I would see this guy smoking cigarettes with like his shirt off watering the lawn, an older (laughs) guy. And I was like, there's no way. Like, I'm an astronaut, you know, like whatever. Okay. Yeah. And then later in life, I saw his face on like the back of a book jacket. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the guy from, you know, from Santa Cruz Street in San Pedro. Yeah. And it was, you know, and so. um, So did you immediately take off your shirt, smoke a cigarette? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of like instincts where I was like, oh, my God, I didn't know you could write like this. I didn't know you could write about the track and about, you know, um, the prostitutes of Los Angeles. And it was really captivating. I later learned a lot about Bukowski and was like, oh, maybe he's not like the most uh, <laughs> like lovely figure in some ways, right? But I remember just feeling like, oh, I can write like this in the sense that I can say like, oh, I've had a, a shitty day or whatever. That was like sometimes his opening sentence. And you just felt like if he were in a high school English class, he would have been destroyed. So that was encouraging for me to be like, oh, writing can look so, it's so diverse in style and everything, right? And in plot, and it doesn't have to look a certain way. So you mentioned um, Hatchet and you mentioned Bukowski as two uh, books and people that kind of encourage you to be a writer. Sure. Any others that you remember, like a real sort of big reaction to when you were younger? Um, let's see. So for me, I kind of got into writing a little bit later than most people. I didn't study it too much in college. I just took one creative writing class. Um, I kind of came to it through like journalism. I wrote in high, uh, news, newspaper in college and was mostly writing comedy. So I did a lot of stand up comedy and, um, I was really obsessed with like Gilda Radner Yeah. and, um, let's see, like Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy's specials, and um, even like Ellen DeGeneres, her early work was very important to me. And she wrote like, I think, you know, she broke into comedy by writing, like her girlfriend had died. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And the deer. And so I remember reading that as a maybe like 18 year old and just thinking how brilliant it was Mm -hmm. and kind of seeing comedy as more of storytelling 
So I, that was a big that was a big influence. I think those it wasn't just you know writing and writers. I think you know later on, then I was always influenced by um, more like traditional writing, um, very much a Chekhov, Hemingway, that kind of thing. Even Lucille Clifton for poetry, I, I always look at her work very much, and so. It was an interesting kind of evolution because I started doing jokes and writing jokes. And then later I was just like, oh, I kind of need the blank page to tell sad stories. No one wants to go up on stage and hear someone tell a really depressing story for 30 minutes. That's not what stand-up's about. True. You know, so it started kind of taking shape in terms of uh, poetry and short fiction. And, and then, yeah, it was just kind of a natural evolution. But I think without comedy, without that, I probably... I don't think I'm writing. It's a weird, That's weird so journey. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Nice you have to have like a couple of standout memories from being a stand-up. Comic. Oh, they're like, horrible. Immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's a short story I wrote um, where it's it's very much my like a, my kind of it's most mostly an autobiographical short story. Um, it's called One Night Stand, and it's in my first uh, short story collection, and it is. Very much, you know, like an open mic and people singing, you know, Simon and Garfunkel songs opening up for you. And there was like a woman in the corner holding flashlights as a spotlight and like putting them on your face. And it was like really hard to perform. And everyone was, and I remember this guy who was like, oh, you're sweaty. You know, like I I have, like what you don't want to do is sweat because then the audience, and I was like very stressed out. And so he said, I just use my my wife's um <laughs> this is so odd but i use my wife's like maxi pads and i oh, put no! yeah and i put them under my t-shirt and that absorbs sweat and i was like oh okay like i don't know if i can do that like right <laughs> and then Worst advice out of the gate yes advice. and then i told a friend and she was like oh i'll sew socks into your t-shirt for you and i was like okay and so then I was having a friend do that. And then I just had lots of like stupid jokes. You know, you, you try to be, you're basically doing an impression of other comics when you're up there sure. because you've never done anything. So I was watching Rodney Dangerfield a lot when I was a kid oh, with, my, with my grandfather. <laughs> and I would, I just like came home and I'm, you know, when you're like 12, 13 years old, you have not been married four times and you don't have all this ex- experience like Dangerfield. So I was trying to write like him. And so I wrote a joke about, um, a stork like i said oh my my father tells me children come from storks storks that have had sex with my mother and i was like oh god that's not really appropriate you know but i remember writing that joke at 14 thinking it was like so brilliant and then i got up on stage and was like oh that's not brilliant at all <laughs> it's offensive and gross <laughs> and my poor mom yeah. So, yeah, those are those moments where you're like, you're almost uh, like an actor. You're just trying out material that's not even yours. And it's so painful. Like when you fail up there, it's so painful because your writing imagine. is so much more lovely that way. Because your first draft is just, it's just you and a computer and no one sees it. And yeah. your first draft with stand up comedy is just, oh my gosh. Oh my God, yeah. It's in front of everyone. And then you're just, you're really. Yeah, I am getting sweaty. I need. T-shirt socks. T-shirt socks. Maybe we do need that for Sundays. We talk about how we get for what this is too much information. Yeah, for some reason. And so then we thought about like when because we have a live show coming up. I'm like, what are we going to do when we're yeah. sweating through our clothes? You've given us now we've got. Oh, good, yeah, good, yeah. 
T-shirt socks. <laughs> they do work. I did another. I mean, it, it's like you can't really wear the T-shirt anywhere else but performing because <laughs> you look a little weird and it's itchy. But it's itchy. for those 15 minutes that you need the shirt, yeah, it works okay. Uh. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I just yeah. imagine us like our arms out just stuck because we don't yeah. want to touch. Like, sorry, my itchy. Yes. Arm. Yeah. You kind of end up like, like your arms kind of poke out like you're a bird or something a little bit. <laughs> Oh, man. That, yeah. that was great. That visual was everything I needed. Oh, today. good. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, those are days that now I think back and you know, I took all my material that was really poor and kind of put it in a struggling stand-up comic story um, about him performing at an open mic and like trying to get this person's attention. I kind of upped the stakes by having uh, like a, a manager come in. You know, like this guy has a connection and a manager is coming in to hear his set and it goes kind of poorly. And that whole... That whole vibe, but it was it was kind of a fun place for me. To, it was cathartic to like dump all my old material in this story where I knew the comic was going to fail, so the material didn't have to be great. It was actually better when it didn't. I, the stork joke did not make it in there because I just I think I sh- that you're like maybe the first people I've ever told about that that story. You and the poor crowd that had to be there, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. I remember being really proud and showing it to my grandfather and he's like, Oh, that's a good joke. And I was like, oh. I was like, that means a lot. And then I took it on the road and that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're going to switch gears a little bit and sure. talk about some of your reading life now. Um, yeah. How many books would you say are on your to be read pile? And oh are my there gosh. Any you can... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I have a a huge to be read pile as usual yes, with everybody. Yes. I think yes. Mm-hmm. So let's see. I'm trying to think of some of the more obvious ones. I have this book called Guys Like Me by Dominique Fabre, a French book. It's supposed to be very good. And then I have this um, this memoir slash I think a little bit of a biography about a Elspeth Beard, who was the first woman to motorcycle all over the world. And like ride one around the whole world. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, I have the short stories of Fitzgerald. We we're talking about like classics. I have not read most of his short stories, maybe a good like eight or nine, but that's it. So I wanted to kind of um, clear up a little bit of those blind spots. And let's see, another one I have, I have some David Mamet short plays I wanted to read. So, and then um, there was one other book that I really wanted to read. I think it's by, um, it's called Educated. I think it's a big memoir that's out right oh, now. Oh, yeah. We both read that. Yeah. Oh, how is that? Okay. It's, yeah. I don't know the author, but I know it's on my nightstand and Carl someone bought. Okay. There, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are. It's a big book, but it'll go fast. Okay. Yeah. 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 Some yeah. tough stuff, but it's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. It sounded fascinating. So. Yeah, it is. Well, of the, of the books that you have gotten to, mm-hmm. um, have you uh, found any books that have really surprised you recently? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So I found this book um, in a weird way. I love basketball. And um, someone recommended this book called Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson, the old Bulls coach, and he coached oh, the Lakers. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, he had been like known as the Zen master throughout his life because he liked to practice Buddhism and things like that. But I didn't, I just thought it was kind of a cute little nickname. I didn't realize that it was far more important. And it's kind of his memoir about basketball and faith and how he grew up in a Pentecostal church 
But um, when he had to do his, I forgot what it's called, but basically there's a, a time of like reckoning when you're 13 and you, many of the young boys and girls are asked to kind of speak in tongues and feel like possessed by the spirit. And yeah, and he couldn't do it. Like he went up there and he had really put in the work and it like didn't come to him. And then he tried for a whole nother year and still couldn't do it. And it kind of ruined his relationship with faith a little bit at that moment and a little bit with his parents. Like he just, cause they were both Pentecostal ministers, his folks. Oh, and wow. so, yeah. So he became kind of in search of a religion that more fit him and turned to Buddhism and the spirituality of, he was saying that, you know, Pentecostal faith is based mostly on thinking about the future and like, am I being good enough now for heaven or whatever it might be? And he really loved the immediacy of Buddhism in the sense that it was focusing on now. And he felt there was like something really beautiful about that. And he would give, you know, he would meditate and travel and he became very close with like Native American faith. So he became kind of a student of faith and taught at different camps um, all over Montana. He's from North Dakota originally. And then he would teach in the summertime, he would teach basketball to many Native American tribes and communities in Montana and I think Wyoming and things like that. So it was a very interesting journey. I thought it was going to be more basketball focused. Yeah. And I was excited to read about like the 90s Bulls and all that stuff and get kind of an interesting take on it. Um, but it was ended up being so much more. He's such an interesting writer and good writer. So that was a really fun book that I was very surprised about, you know. And I have another, I have his like autobiography called Maverick that I bought. So that one's sitting on the, on the table too. Oh, I had yeah. no idea. Jackson had such a yeah I didn't yeah me neither it was like a really I was like promoting his book and my mom was like oh I have to read that and I was like yeah it's really you know engrossing and interesting and I think sadly sometimes we just see people as like the star in their you know in their field it's a hard thing to break out of especially yes yes absolutely yeah that's very true how do you normally find your book recommendations do you get them from other people oh yeah yeah, I think word of mouth is huge. I think Instagram, Facebook now has become kind of a, a form of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, I like when people post um, what they're reading, what they're enjoying. Amazon and all those sites like Barnes and Nobles, they do a good job of kind of recommending things based on your purchase history. Mm-hmm. And I have bumped into a bunch of authors that way. Um, but I think for me, like what started it all was garage sales. I don't know how... Yeah, I, I amazing. I love garage sales. Yeah. And the most random you do. And so I I go to estate sales and garage sales often, maybe weekly, and I look them up in the paper still and I I go and if they say books in there, I usually really enjoy it and I'll go and kind of like sift through someone's collection and find something I enjoy. That was actually how I found Bukowski back in the day. Was he was I? My grandfather had told me, and I thought my grandfather was being silly as usual. And then when I was about 16, 15, I went to a garage sale with my mother and found this box of books that was all like 80% Bukowski. And um, I didn't know who he was. I thought, like, basically, I discovered him, you know, besides my grandfather. I was like, oh, this is our little secret. It's the guy down the street. How funny. And um, that was it, you know. So I. Yes, exactly. I was like, oh, look at And so I saw like 12 of his books and I bought the the box and I went home and read pretty much, I don't know, I think he probably has about 30 books. But I felt like in that moment that I read 
a good amount of his work and I could comment on it seriously and all that stuff. And um, yeah, but I love garage sales because you're going into someone's home or garage and you're kind of just delving into their tastes. And I have found so many interesting books that way. You know, I've, I was introduced to um, Garrison Keeler that way. Because uh, people, you know, that's like, it's like their big bookshelves that they're getting rid of. So, you know, you're, I was introduced to Baudelaire and Henry Miller. All that stuff was through mm-hmm. that because they're adult books that they're not teaching in school. Yeah. You know, no one, I would. Oh, cool. It feels like going into like a record store or something. It kind of does. Yeah. 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 Good analogy. I didn't think of it that Thank way. You, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So thinking about the, the works that you write, you know, you write poetry, you write prose. Your most recent collection is out now. Did any, do you think there were any books in particular that inspired this collection in some of your work? Were there any that you were uh, thinking about a lot as you were pulling this together? Oh, yes. Um, so the author, Bridget, see, I'm going to do it again because I've never said her name. Bri- <laughs> Bridget Pegeen Kelly was a poet that I've followed for a long time and just adored her poems. Um, Jim Harrison was a poet that I really admire. He's kind of a Bukowski-ish type poet. Um, and let's see, like there are a few that I just absolutely love like you know Baudelaire he has a poem in the book about him Lucille Clifton I mentioned um and then I think Raymond Carver's poetry always has touched me and it's been very very much maybe not on the on the like image level that I'm trying to portray but certainly on like a sentence level I think he does something that poets are often afraid to do which is speak very honestly and Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a little bit of this thing in art where people hide behind big words sometimes or images that are hard to understand or, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a little bit in the poetry community, kind of a pat on the back for confusion. I feel like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I didn't understand yeah, it is a compliment. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't see it that way. You know, if, if everyone reads Ezra Pound uh, to like a high school class, I read one about him in the Paris Metro. Like 85% of the class was like, I don't get it. And we had to break it down. And then afterwards, everyone's like, oh, I appreciate it so much more. I'm like, that's a shame that you can't just appreciate it the first read in some ways, right? Um, This wasn't written in like 1487. You know, this was like pretty contemporary (laughs) stuff. So there is a little bit of that, you know, simplicity to me. I think it was Da Vinci who said simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And I'm very much a believer of that, like distilling words and trying to come up with an image that is accessible. I think to me, the highest compliment is when people say, oh, I don't really like poetry, but I really liked your poems. For that, sure. I that, think you're right that accessibility is something. It's yes. something, yes. Yeah. Clarity and accessibility to me. I mean, when I teach writing, I say, above all else, like, be clear, you know? Yeah. That yeah. will carry a reader because confusion makes people want to close a book. There's yeah. real, like, we don't owe it, you know, as a reader, you don't really owe it to anybody to keep reading unless it's yeah. for, you know... Like a, like a class, you know, but at this point when we're adults and we just want to read for fun, we're not going to, I tried to read Infinite Jest, for example, like three or four times now. Yeah. And it's, it's brilliant. And I kind of just enjoy it almost like a poem now. I read a whole page and I'm like, oh, that's really brilliant. I think there's a 10 page part about him building a bed or something <laughs> at some point. And I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. You know, <laughs> like I, just, I want to. Yeah. Yeah. I know, but I think that's hard. We've talked about that a lot too, yes. as a reader, 
I mean, there'll be times that we both think, gosh, this book got a lot of praise, but I don't think I like it. Yeah. Am I missing? Yeah. You're almost afraid to say you don't like it. I always feel like I have to Google and be like, did other people not like it? Am I not getting something? Yeah. Yeah. Because you feel like you're going to be, it's the Tarantino thing. Yeah. You're going to be attacked and then you have to defend yourself. But, you know, art is one of those things like you either, you kind of feel it or you don't. And, um. Yeah. It makes me really happy when I'm able to read eight or nine poems by Carver or even um, even like Baudelaire, sometimes like even the more fancy, you know, uh, like Shakespearean sonnets. But I kind of understand them and can appreciate them. Uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning now I really love and like uh, Sylvia Plath, obviously, right? Those were all – and Sexton was a big influence actually in this book. So, um, yeah, I think I love accessibility – I think there's like two types of writing, really. It's those that really want you to read and kind of welcome you in like a Mary Oliver. And then there are others where you're like, oh, God, you know, do they even want me here or do I need to go to have a tweed blazer and a pipe? And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, would this person even invite me into their home? Yeah. I would not be allowed. I would not be allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Would your tweed blazer have socks in the armpits? Oh, yes. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Blazers are thick enough you can get away with it, I think. Yeah, that's true. true. If you're sweating through a blazer, you have to go to a doctor, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just realized, not only are you our first man on the... Your emphasis on that is... But also you're our first poet. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, that's true for the ones I live. It's a good point. Yeah. That's very good. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. My goodness. <laughs> okay. Well, after the um, stork joke, I'm, I'm maybe you're regretting everything. There's a good. There's no, a good. <laughs> no, we love a bad joke. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. Well, we have taken uh, asking kind of five questions at the end to all the authors, and the first one is that we would like to know one of your most memorable fan interactions. Besides meeting me. Mm, yeah. Yes. Obviously, besides Amy, obviously besides but that. whether it was funny, yeah. weird. Exciting. I, I had a couple. So I had one where the guy in the audience really thought I had written a story about him, that it was his his life. And what? he was like very touched. It was a story about um, a man who, uh, it's a very short piece in Los Angeles, uh, my first collection. And it's about this man who goes back to the older man that he loved when he first came out of the closet, but they never were physical or anything. And then he learns that he that the older man has AIDS and is maybe dying any day. And so he visits him and they kind of, you know, chat and that kind of thing. It's a very short little piece. And this man in the audience really thought it was about him. And it was really kind of a beautiful moment. You know, he gave me a hug and said it like really touched him because something like so similar happened to him. So that was a really powerful one. That's amazing. Yeah. And then um, I had a, um, I had like a, kind of a large following with my first book. I don't know how this happened with really older women. And that's, it's fine. I think, I think it's because, I think it's because women are the only people who read. This is my, like, I don't know a lot of men who are reading these days as much. So like most book clubs I've done, yeah, it's about 80% women, I would say. Um, And then events. And it's, I think that's, you know, kind of an indicator of men needing to to be better and read and all that stuff that's for maybe another show but um yeah so i there was one man in the audience right it's like 90 percent women and then this one man he's probably about 50 he comes up after and he said oh um, my wife is a huge fan and i said oh okay what well, do you want me to 
do you want me to sign the book to her? And he said, oh, um, yeah, that would be good. And so he hands me the book and I said, okay, so who should I make it out to? And he said, um, Carl. And I said, oh, okay, Carl. <laughs> so I, are you sneaking in here on her behalf? And he said, no, I actually just kind of liked the book, but we'll keep it between us. And I was like, okay, you don't have to be embarrassed to read fiction, but yeah. yeah. And also, that's kind of a backhanded... It was a little weird, right? But it was kind of cute just the way he said Carl. It was very cute. Like, Maybe he had a crush on you, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) It was like this real... Like we were in some sinister, you know, sex ring or something. And I said, it's like 10.30 in the morning at a library. Like, it's all good. You can be proud to be here. There's nothing nothing shameful. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's um, terrifying and impressive every time. Yeah. Yeah. Love that question. Okay, so of the authors that you have loved reading and, and have appreciated their work, were there any that you really wanted to meet and you did meet and it went well? Oh. Yes. So I, well, I don't know if it counts as meeting, but I did share an elevator ride with Tess Gallagher. Um, that does that count? Yeah. So yes. that was kind of yes. nice. And then um, I saw Elizabeth Gilbert at a conference and oh. she was very kind. And we, we did, I did say hello and she said hi. And we, I said I was a big fan and she was very sweet. Like she was almost embarrassed that I said it. So that was really nice. And she was very charming. And, you know, that's always nice when you meet people you admire and they're actually like, they actually stand up to what you've thought of them. Yeah, I think that would yeah. be. So I think those two things. Yeah, but I, I need more stories on that level, I think, you know. <laughs> but it is crazy to be, f- yeah, and it is crazy to be friends with someone like Callie that I really did, you know. Um, she, we went to college together and she was kind of everything I wanted to be. You know, she was hey, someone. You went to undergrad too? Uh, no, I went to uh, Vermont College with her. Yeah. And she, you know, we became quick friends probably within the first 10 days or so. And we were kind of just bonding over our love of whiskey and like, you know, uh, <laughs> late night snacks and like everything that wasn't writing, which I liked, you know, we talked about her kids and um, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then I just ended up really admiring her. She's a tough person to compliment that way because she diffuses it. So I kind of like that I can do it without having her on the other end. But um <laughs> Because she'll listen to this and turn it off when I start talking to this part. But yeah, but you know, I just remember thinking like she's very humble and she's put in the work and she's won awards and she, she was very much the writer. I was 25 at the time. And I remember thinking like, wow, I would really like to be like Callie. You know, I would really like to have a book out and be like a normal, nice person. And that kind of like, she was very much, you know, it was cool to see someone that I wanted to be. I didn't know what a writer looked like. I hadn't really met any. Uh, I didn't grow up with writers around. I still am not friends with that many writers here in LA, maybe two or three. But most of my friends, you know, I grew up in LA and they're they're just like, you know, they're not into writing. They're not into reading even. And sure. it's kind of nice that way because I kind of can live my life and it's, you know, they're good mm-hmm. people and we watch basketball and we hang out and, you know, but um, yeah, Kelly was kind of the first writer. I just looked at her and said like, wow, okay, I'm going to try to do what she does. I'm going to read what she reads and, oh. you know, yeah, it really helped me, you know? Yeah. And now to be friends with her and also be like a huge fan, it's a very weird experience to like go to her house and um, and hang out with her kids, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. like her, she, you know, my her husband and me, we watch like games together. It's just a very weird experience. How would you say your uh, love or joy of reading has changed changed since you became a published writer? Mm, yeah, I think that's a very important question. I think 
for me, you know, it's impossible to kind of turn off that critical aspect a little bit. And I'm always looking at plot and how characters are being manipulated and how things are being set up down the road. It has kind of, I have to say, it's kind of killed a lot of the pure joy. You'll never be able to read the same way Um, and even watch a film the same way. Sometimes I find myself in the evening, yeah, I don't want to watch a movie because it feels like work a little bit. I don't know how to, you know, if you write all day on plot, you're like, maybe I don't want to unwind with another plot. Um, I think that's why I gravitate so much towards documentaries sometimes. It just feels like a different experience. And I'm not trying to find the plot as much. It's just like a true story and they're just telling it factually. And same with reading. I think sometimes now I notice that I never read what I'm writing. So if I'm writing fiction, I'll be reading um, a a biography, excuse me, or yeah. yeah. And if I'm reading, if I'm writing poetry, I'll be reading kids' books, and I kind of just bounce around that way. So, uh, what's a book? You know, maybe one of your favorites, or or uh, something else. But what's a book that you think everyone should read? Oh, yeah. What is a book I think everyone should read? Besides a classic, you think something a little more undiscovered? Yeah. So I would say the Diary of Frida Kahlo was kind of a cool book for me. I loved that book. It kind of was so much about dreaming bigger than you can think. You know, that was very important to me. I tend to do that too. I think I see my writing career a certain way. Um, I see my prose to be geared a certain way. And so I kind of stay in a comfortable wheelhouse. And when I took a look at, you know, her diary, it really opened up that she was always pushing herself into drawing things and painting things that maybe were more, you know, she was always kind of pushing herself a little bit out of her comfort zone. I thought that was really cool. There's that David Bowie quote about uh, that, like the oh, best, oh boy, the best place to be as an artist is like going out into the ocean. I'm going to butcher it, but you want to be like a little bit where you don't have footing anymore, you know, a couple feet more into the water, so to speak. And I think there is a little bit of that. Like sometimes we tend to just stay on the shore and the big projects can be a little daunting. So we, we don't tackle them. You know, I know I've been guilty of that. Like, Oh God, this, if I start this project, it might take me two, three years. And so I don't do it. And I did that with a recent novel that I just finished. And I was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done writing that. So you ha- you need sometimes to push yourself into that zone. And her book kind of lost Amy for a minute because David Bowie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like magic trigger. So I think like, oh, and Amy's out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he's a powerful person. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a big loss for just not music, but everybody and art in general. Yeah. Absolutely. And he was a huge reader. Like huge reader. Yeah. People don't realize how much he was a reader. I think he read like two or three books a week is what I read in his, some of the obituaries. And he, he had a huge lifelong love affair with reading and poems. And um, I've realized my Instagram has turned into a lot of David Bowie reading pictures and I'm okay with That's that. good. Uh, yeah. Yes. Have yeah. you seen other people's Instagrams? That's probably the best one. Yeah. Yours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mine's all salads. I feel like people are just posting <laughs> like everyone in my feed is posting salads. Sometimes I think they're ads and I'm like, Oh no, these are just people I know. Like, oh, here's boy. a barrow salad. Here's an arugula salad. I'm like, I'm good. I, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
We always uh, close our episode with our current pop culture obsession. So we wanted to ask about yours. What are you currently obsessed with, whether it's a TV show, podcast, movie, documentary, whatever? Mm. So I've been really into this uh, McMillions. Have you heard of this on HBO? Yeah. yeah, I've been watching that every Monday. It's three episodes in a row now, and I find myself coming home and excited to watch a kind of ridiculous documentary about McDonald's. Um, yeah, and it's like it's so weird yes. though. This whole thing about mm-hmm. how I remember playing that Monopoly game, and no one I ever yeah. knew won anything. And then because that guy was yes, and now I'm like, yeah. oh, I had no idea about this story until this came out. And yeah, so I have been watching that religiously, and I was kind of disappointed they didn't call the show Hamburglar. I felt like that was a <laughs> like a really good opportunity. That is why did that's like I think about that at least once a week. Yeah. Like now I'm gonna McMillions. Yeah. You went really went there. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's okay, but Hamburglar was it was yeah. right there. It was a layup, you know. Yeah, they really fudged that. Yeah. So, but it is kind of intriguing. Now, the mob's involved in this last episode, and mm-hmm. it's like really big crime. And Swindle. it's weird that it's like has to do with fries and hash browns. It's just a very weird thing. It doesn't seem real. It is. And the FBI yeah. is involved, and you're like, you just can't believe it. So, yeah. I wish my grandfather uh, were alive to know about this because he played this game religiously. <laughs> And he was so irritated all the time. He's like, I eat 12 hash browns a day, and I can't win anything but a free hash brown. He's like, that's the only thing. <laughs> He's like, this is so stupid. I wanted to win a Dodge Viper. And he keeps talking about it. And, right. yeah. and then I'm like, oh, I know who won the Dodge Viper. It's this guy in, you know, in Florida. Yeah. And I know who won the million. Yeah. So there you go. Well, well that's it. Yeah. Okay. This was a great time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan. Uh, that was so good. It was so good. It was actually a really fun conversation. It was. That we had It was. Him. That's yeah. what's so great about this series yes. is some of the conversations are just amazing. And some of the authors surprise us. Like, yes. I had no idea that Matthew was as freaking funny. So funny. Yeah. And that he has a history in comedy. Yes. And by the way, as a plug, you should follow his Twitter because oh his Twitter is actually very funny, too. Yeah. Some of the things on there that I'm like, Yes. And yeah, we didn't know prior to this that no. he has a history with stand-up comedy. Yes. Which which is fantastic. It's so great. I the thing I love the most is maybe the idea of the the maxi pads under the mm-hmm. um armpits. Yeah, that was which terrific. Which is uh seems real um ill advised. Yeah. Um but, I think hey. we, did we turn it into maxi he he had socks. No, right? someone told him maxi oh, pads. Oh yeah, that's and right. He turned it into socks. socks. Yeah. In yes. my head it'll always be maxi pads. Yeah, right. And I didn't want to like really yeah. say yeah. he did that, but that's no. right. He considered that. Yeah. So and honestly, it may be something we need to consider yeah, because we I, sweat a lot. I know. I mean, I mean just, we might need to use it for book fest. We might need to do that. I don't think it's a bad idea. <laughs> no. I also really liked that you kept emphasizing that this was our first man. Yeah. I really felt like I needed to be like, you're a man. And he went with it. He went with it. Which is a testament to how great <laughs> he is. He's just a man. In fact, when we talked about doing this, he was like, I know you haven't interviewed any men. Yeah. So I don't know if that's cool or not. He thought we would say no. Yeah. But you're mistaken. We would not say no. no we would not 
Not so that was that. wonderful. Even though I was super creepy, that was um, that was a great part of it. Yep. To be fair, I did not remember it as creepy. Oh, I remembered it as I was saying it. It's like, oh, Jesus, what am I doing? <laughs> this is super creepy. Why am I doing this? And then yeah. I just did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also love that he talked about garage sales for finding books because yes. how great is that? That's and so now true. I feel like, yeah, I need to just drive around and find garage sales because there probably are some fantastic books. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love that... Uh, uh, his name was mangled so wonderfully mm-hmm. in that uh, talk show that he was on to the point that he didn't know he was supposed to be talking. I have, I legitly have thought of that story yes. so many times since we Marcus. talked to him. Yeah. Marcus. Marcus. Which there's not an R anywhere in the name. I don't oh, understand. It's just bizarre just behavior. Weird letters. Yeah. Stop it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I mean, you got to love his love for Callie. Yes, because we all love her too. But come on, I, I love that. Basically, um, Callie probably threw her phone away the minute that she started hearing him talk. <laughs> nice, like oh god, I can't it's handle it. The yeah, yeah, dead, dead. Dead. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Callie, too bad. Too bad. Gotta, there you gotta go. hear it. Gotta hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love too that uh, he he really is thinking about like accessibility as mm-hmm. well as writing excellence. That you know the idea of like writing poetry, it doesn't have to be confusing. It doesn't yes. have to be like obtuse and some sort of you know literary kind of thing. He really wants to write poetry for everyone, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Very cool. And I mean, I'll say it because I don't know if you're avoiding it, mm. but he quoted Bowie, he so did. and I about. My head about exploded. Uh, yeah, I was, I was here like, to witness having, that. I was like, we're having a great conversation, and now you just you know, put a Bowie quote in there. You made her Bowie face come out. Yeah. And I saw it, and I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Here it is. Well, we will be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. In the meantime, you can head to our website, broadsandbooks.com, and check out all of those episodes. And if you've missed any, now is the perfect time to get listening. Like we said, this is a new series of bonus episodes we're providing. Have you caught them all? We've got Julia Phillips, Mona Watt, Chanel Benz, Angie Kim. More coming all the time. Some great ones coming. So many. Mm-hmm. So subscribe now and you will get them all direct to you. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? 
maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.